0: Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez. The podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host.
1: Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Gina Catalano. Gina, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for being here, Henry.
1: Oh, thanks for being with us. Uh, Gina is a business owner, a consultant, a strategic business coach, and an author. Uh, She's the president of Venture Solutions. And also a certified value builder advisor. And we'll get into what that means for her clients. She specializes in helping owners transition their businesses to ensure that they have both the business and life that they deserve. So striking that balance. And she helps owners and CEOs to grow the value of their business. So she's also the author or an author, I should say, of the book Tandem Leadership. How your number two can make you number one and she's gonna explain what that means as well. So in this episode, we're going to learn about Gina's entrepreneurial journey, how she got to where she is today, and some great tips and advice for how we can take our small business to the next level, how to balance our business and our life, how to leverage and delegate others to help us get there. And so all of those topics, we will chat with Gina about today in this episode. Gina lives in the Tucson, Arizona area, so once again, Gina Catalano, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. It's, it's so great to be here and have a chance to speak to your listeners.
1: Absolutely. We, we welcome you. And so if I understood correctly, I was doing the research. You ended up in Arizona, but you're not originally from Arizona. You've lived in a couple different places, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit of a wanderer. I actually grew up in California, and uh, I'm from a long line of Californians and decided that I needed a big adventure And so I moved to the Midwest and then I met my husband there and I ended up staying. So um, I've had the great opportunity of living in just a lot of different places with working with a lot of different people. And I think it's really helped uh, my business and it's helped my life quite a bit. I mean, I've really enjoyed the diversity that I've had been able to do.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Um, What I love about Arizona is it doesn't rain that much and I hate the rain. (laughs)
0: Oh,
1: (laughs) my wife doesn't mind the rain, but I just I love sunshine and it's I can't get enough of it sometimes. I grew up in South Florida, but I live in the Dallas area now. Right. All right. So you got a bachelor's in mathematics and then on to a master's in public administration. So am I gathering that at that time you thought public sector was going to be your career and that's what you were going to do?
0: Is that right? Yeah, it was. I had, um, you know, I, I loved um, having a math degree, but I quickly learned that there would never be a, a Catalano theorem in the works that future <laughs> students would uh, want to study. And you know, like a lot of us, um, my college experience was amazing, but my work experience during college actually probably shaped me more than the actual study. And I was always involved in the entrepreneurial side of colleges, of the college experience, which was at the place where I went to school, UC Santa Barbara. They had an amazing conference services program. They actually hosted the Olympics, one of the Olympic villages at one point. So that kind of for-profit entrepreneurial side um, in the not-for-profit sector really engaged me and taught me a lot about planning and you know, responding to emergencies and all kinds of really fun things. And um, I thought I wanted to stay in that. And for a lot of people, they may or may not know this, when you wanna stay in higher education, you really need a master's degree, mm-hmm. at least minimally. Right. And that was why I went and pursued my uh, public administration degree at the time.
1: Okay, and so then you, you went into that, that field, higher education, working with student services, working seminar conferences, developed some workshops, I believe, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Right, I've got, i got, um, I ran a small conference, I actually worked at uh, several universities, and then I ran a small conference center, which is like running a hotel um, on a campus and there was this opportunity um there was a brand new program being started up called the manufacturing extension partnership and they needed someone to to work with small manufacturers to help them improve their businesses and they needed somebody to work on workshops and seminars and i thought this looked really exciting and i applied and i got it so one of the things that happened over the next few years as i was doing all these workshops and conferences and planning them i learned more and more about manufacturing And I realized I just fell in love with it. I just, I love the idea of making things, the coordination of all the different parts. Um, It was amazing and kind of rose up through the ranks to the point where I was running a regional office in Milwaukee um, of about 25 consultants. And we were going out every day, you know, talking to small business owners and helping them improve their business either through process improvement or growth. And um, it was pretty amazing. And it really shaped the way I looked at the world from there.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And obviously you've got all that experience and input. It's similar to for me when I was in sales working in the corporate environment. I got to work with so many different companies. And you just, you learn so much about how to do it, how not to do it. Uh, but then, so what leads to then around 2011, if I have the date right, to starting your own consulting business?
0: Well, I, um, I had... The opportunity uh, in between the time that I left uh, the not-for-profit consulting business and to uh, to 2011, I had the opportunity to run a couple of small manufacturers. Uh, One was a, a, a dance costume manufacturer, you know, it doubled every year, I learned a lot. And then I did kind of the opposite extreme and somebody enticed me to come help them try to do a turnaround. It didn't work. I didn't feel really, and we ended up actually filing chapter 11. But, you know, I knew going into it that that was very much a possibility, but I thought, you know, either end of the spectrum, learning what happens when you don't do your business well could be just as um, exciting. You know, it was sad, don't get me wrong, but learning about all the things that happens when things don't go well, um, I think, I thought would really um, be an opportunity. And then we decided to move to Arizona, um, and I realized that I was really tired of traveling a lot and wanted to have a business that would allow me to take my sort of unique skill set and put it together in a way. So in 2011, I started Venture Solutions, and it's been going crazy ever since.
1: (laughs) Did you start it by yourself, uh, partners? How did you get started?
0: I did start by myself, um, though I've been really fortunate. um, With the kind of experience that I've had, I've been able to work um, with – not to – make a play for my book, but I've been able to work in tandem um, with other people, other projects. I had a number of people that asked me to come join them as part of their team, a virtual team to do things with my specific specific skill set. So I still had the ability to work with other people, but still maintain my independence on doing my own projects as part of my business.
1: Yeah, that's such a great way, especially when you get started and even ongoing, but how was those, were those people that you had as part of your network, people you already knew from your career? How did you develop those relationships? Um, A
0: couple were from my original network. And what I found is that once you start doing that, and if you're doing a good job, People just say, hey, you should talk to Gina or you or I used to say the same thing. You should talk to talk to Bill or or Karen or whomever. Um, And it just became sort of this loosely um, independent network of folks that wanted to do things. And then as I as I developed sort of my own thing, my own niche, I was able to do more and more things on my own. Still partnering with people, but not um, as much now as I did before. Um, I have more colleagues now that I use for bouncing off ideas as opposed to working on, you know, group projects. Yeah,
1: yeah, that makes sense. When you look back now, when you started your business in 2011, do you wish you would have started earlier, or was the timing what it needed to be?
0: I wish, I have to say, I try really hard in my life not to have a lot of regrets, but I had thought about doing this about five years earlier, and I wish I would have started five years earlier. What kept I have to from say doing this. so? Um, you're going to laugh, but um, I got an offer to go work for somebody while I was starting my consulting business. And so uh, it started as a contract, and this has happened before, you know, in between or whatever. I started as a contract, and within six months I was deep in it again. And they were like, we really need you here full time. And it was an exciting opportunity, and so I couldn't pass it up and it's actually it happened again when in 2011 and I said no way I just said I knew they learned my lesson the first time because when you go in for me and I don't know if this has happened to you for me when you go in as a consultant or a coach as a you know your expertise is valued differently when you become a full-time contractor and you're there all the time it's I think it's a lot more difficult to facilitate change interesting
1: well, thanks for sharing that. All right. Well, let's let's get into what I wanted to talk about here, mostly in our conversation. I have a quote here. I think it's from the book, uh, and this is just a partial quote. "Quote: The most successful leaders have a keen awareness that they and their businesses can be better." End quote. So, I'd like to start just with that philosophy and concept, and obviously, that's what you've observed with the so many so many different clients that you've worked with. Is that desire? that the best business owners have to always get better, right? That's been your observation?
0: Yeah, it has, and I think it's, um, it, it's something that they also are able to ingrain, ingrain in their business with their partners if they're virtual or um, the people that they attract to their business and if they have employees, um, the employees that they work with. Um, it's knowing that you just can't stop trying to be better. And I think how it manifests, and and there is a balance, because I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are perfectionists. I don't know if you've run into that.
1: Yeah, that would be me.
0: Okay. (laughs) Um, So there's a balance in there between wanting to, um, you know, always do the very, very best work. um, And also knowing that sometimes you just 80% of what your best day is probably 100% what your clients need that day. Um, and not getting it out into the world is kind of selfish. But I think if what I try to do with clients is saying, okay, pick three things, and I try really hard to get it to three that you really want to work on and improve, and let's fo- really focus on those three things. Because a lot of time, the other seven things that are on their list, or 97 things that are on their list, will fall away if you really work on those first three things.
1: Yeah, Good observation. and, and so. It's also about, I think it translates into always wanting to get better as a person, as a business owner and growing your business. I think if you get to the point, in my opinion, where you don't feel that way anymore about your business then maybe that's a sign that it's time to exit or at least bring in someone else and we'll chat about that specifically to help you with taking that business to the next level. Um, Related to that then is, I'd like you to introduce this concept of the value builder system. Explain what that is, what that methodology is, and how that applies.
0: Well, in 2010, John Warrill wrote the book um, Built to Sell. Um, And he was a serial entrepreneur. I think at that point he had sold a couple, three businesses, and two to, I think, three or four businesses by that point. And he was, one of his businesses was a research marketing, um, uh, market research company. And he was really fascinated with the exit process. And his belief, his core belief, is that you're really not an entrepreneur until you sell your business, um, which I think is fascinating. And I think it really upset. It kind of puts everything on, a, uh, on its head sometimes. And I love the book because I think um, it was a business allegory. It was easy to read. And it really taught that even if you didn't want to sell your business, um, Understanding what makes a business valuable really is important for the long, because for most owners or most entrepreneurs, their business is one of their biggest assets, if not their biggest asset, right? So I started giving that book away all the time, and I just, every time I would start working with someone, I said, hey, this is, it's a short, easy read, you know, read it the next time you're on a flight, you'll love it, and people loved it, so um, Couple years ago, I became aware that he was doing this value builder system, and basically, he created a survey. And I think as of now, they've um, surveyed tw- over twenty-five thousand businesses, primarily in the one to twenty million dollar range, um, and that's the majority of businesses, you know, in general. And they identified in the survey identifies eight key factors that will make your business more valuable. Interestingly enough, making your business more valuable to sell also makes it easier to run. So I became a certified value builder because I believe the methodology, whether you wanna sell in three years or 30 years, all the advice in there will get you to where you wanna get to um, and not be a a slave to your business.
1: So I, I believe one or more of those indicators has to do with how dependent the business is on me, the founder, being there day to day, is that right?
0: Yeah, that's one of them. Um, the other seven have to do with customer satisfaction, uh, opportunity for growth, recurring revenue, um, uh, being how dependable, depend, independent you are from your suppliers, your other employees, or your customers. So it's a whole host of things. Interestingly enough, the average company scores about 52. And what they've done by surveying companies over and over from companies that get an offer, uh, a certified you know, like our, our letter of intent and in an offer, if they've moved their score up to an 80, they can increase their multiple um, by 71%. So, for example, if you, the average, um, regardless of industry, the average multiple is like 3.55 time, times of their um, pre tax profit. And if you can get your score up to 80, you can get it six times. So, even if your business, you know, comes out to, just for, you know, Five hundred thousand. I mean, that's the difference of you know five hundred. You know, five hundred thousand in a million dollars is the difference in your taxes, for example.
1: Yeah, no, so. it's, it's huge. So, what are some of those? Obviously, we've touched on them, but what are some of those other things that differentiate the 50 point ranks uh, companies to the 80 rank companies? And that, well, what are some of those things? I mean, yeah, so on, for example, uh, I'm probably not dependent on one customer for 80% of my business, those kind of things, those
0: else? kinds of things, yeah. um, scalability when you, when thinking, this is something I didn't really realize before I really got into it. But when an owner, somebody decides to want to buy your business, they have to write two checks. They have to write one check to you to pay you. And then they have to write another check to fund the future operations of the company. So while we're as owners, we're always looking backwards. You know, I made X amount of money last year. They're looking at the business on how much future revenue is going to come out of it and how much it's going to cost them to be able to do that. So, for example, you know, what kind of cash flow will your business have after you take your cash out, for example? Um, What kind of... uh, future product flow do you have? I mean, how good is really your um, your product and your opportunity for recurring revenue? So if you have subscriptions, which are a lot of, um, you know, a lot of online entrepreneurs, they're really into their, you know, their monthly recurring revenue. And that's a great thing to have in a business um, that needs to be sold. Um, and, you know, independence from the owner. I mean, I think that's one of the things because what most of us don't, at least I didn't realize, is that the, the, you know, you want to sell your business. So you're thinking ahead. So say it's three years from now, you have to think two years past that because most of us have to stay with our businesses at least two years. And unfortunately, that's what the the acquirer wants. But most people, if you're an entrepreneur and you've gone that route for a little while, you really don't like working for people.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't always have to work that way, but that often is the case, or at least there's some kind of very significant non-compete clause something that's going to tie you up one way or the other Uh, but this so this topic is the one I really want to dive into a bit more about separating ourselves from the day-to-day and it's because it's such a hard one to do I think you mentioned it somewhere in in the research I was doing that we, we start out doing everything in fact you probably don't we don't probably know many entrepreneurs that didn't start out doing everything right so that's the problem is letting go over time is such a hard thing to do for most of us right
0: it is. It is. Um, I, I think that's. It's a well-known fact. But I also think it's a little bit of a mythology too, because there are things in our business that we really don't like doing, and somehow we figure out a way to get rid of those. So either by, you know, when you think about something like optimizing your funnel, um, I mean, there's things that we all love, and there's things that we don't like to do. Um, but what I found a lot for a lot of people is it's, again, it's that perfectionism, that all or nothing kind of mentality. And what I really do to try to loosen the tooth, as it were, is to get people to make the smallest incremental change in whatever area they're trying to free themselves in. Because in that all or nothing mentality, it oftentimes doesn't work. Yeah. Um, we're creatures of habit, right? A lot of us are. Yeah. And, um, and so our brains are really wired for habits and getting yourself to do something as simple as, you know, people, I'll hear this. This is what I'll hear all the time when this happens. So when I get my business organized, then I'll start working out. When I get my business organized, then I'll organize my office. Um, or I'll hand this over to someone when I feel better about it. And what I like to do is deconstruct those when this happens things and find the smallest piece that people can start giving away.
1: That makes sense. So it doesn't become this huge thing. And these habits that you alluded to, and you talk about this in the book as well, We a lot of us, certainly I do, bring them from our corporate world experience, right? Absolutely. And that's and that's and that's because in that environment that that type of approach is more rewarded instead of we're rewarded more for taking on more and more and more as opposed to as business owners we need to get to the point where we delegate as much as possible and we focus on the things that we enjoy doing and then we are best at.
0: Exactly. That's a great way to I couldn't have said it better. I mean, I think what happens for us, a lot you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are really high achievers. And when you and you're just at some point, you whatever your catalyst for changing, uh, getting your own business or going out on your own, it's whatever that catalyst is. There's a lot of stuff that we ignore when we go when we go out into our own business. But in our corporate jobs, we're really rewarded for the the how long, how hard we work. And that's not how it works necessarily when you have your own business. Um, There's you're rewarded for your results almost 100% 100% of the time.
1: And ideally, it's rewarding you in some sort of balance between working in your business and your life.
0: Right. And that's why I always encourage people. And honestly, a few years ago, as part of my d- development, um, I, that's one of the reasons that I spent two years um, studying to be a life coach as well as doing my business coaching because. Um, it's hard for us to separate our business and our personal lives because a lot of it, and, and we don't want to for a lot of things. It's what gives us the freedom to do what we want.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's, that's a great point because sometimes I almost feel guilty. I, I love thinking about my business.
0: But exactly. Everybody has
1: a different way of balancing it too. That doesn't mean I don't give myself time to do the things I want to do. But, but I'm passionate about what I do, and so I talk about it even when I'm not quote-unquote working.
0: Exactly, it's it's almost impossible to turn it off, but I don't think that it, um, I don't think it's can always be the crutch that you. That doesn't mean you don't do the other things, and especially if you're your most valuable asset with your business, then you have to make sure that you're doing all the things that you need to do um, to keep yourself in alignment. To make your business successful and your life.
1: So, in a business like yours where it's consulting, where your delivery, people want you, they want you on the engagement, how have you started to be able to separate yourself from that such that your business isn't entirely dependent on you delivering?
0: That's a great question. Um, my model used to be very straightforward consulting you know, you give me a project and then I will take care of it. And, you know, I was rewarded for it. So, I mean, financially and um, emotionally and intellectually. So it was awesome. But when you're trying to move away from trading time for money, um, because that's not the ultimate freedom for me, and freedom is important, as part was one of my key values, um, I started figuring out ways to leverage. So leveraging um, some of my trainings that I did so that I could get people up to speed quicker changing more to a coaching model because I felt at the end of the day, no matter, even when I was delivering, say say somebody had contracted me to do, uh, to help them with their, I have like one client, right? Uh, a couple of years ago asked me to work with her directly as a CEO, of a small company to help her get all of her executive documentation to her board and all that stuff into place. So I did that once. I did that with her so then when I did I recorded a webinar on it and and then I can give that to someone I can still help them but I don't have to do as much as I did before because they'll have I've gotten them to a a certain level without having to repeat my behavior I mean you know my activity Um, I do group coaching now with my clients so I do one-on-one work with them then I also do group coaching because I found there's a lot of entrepreneurs are somewhat isolated um, with their own business development and finding other people that they can hang with and have questions with has been and they learn a lot from each other.
1: Absolutely, most entrepreneurs in my experience are very isolated uh, but your point about leveraging your time has been one of the ways that you've gotten away from that one-to-one exchange for time for, for money. Uh, but let's segue then into the key point of the book this ta- this concept of tandem leadership if you would please just introduce that concept.
0: Sure. Um, one of the things I was a great number two um, for a lot of years probably since I was a kid. I'm the oldest so in, if you're an oldest child of six kids um, you're kind of a number two to your parents a lot of the time and it was something that really had served me. It, so let, let you me know. Interrupt
1: there. By that you mean that you were you assisted them in the parenting of the other kids And that's what you what you mean by assuming this role of number two,
0: exactly. Thanks for it. Thanks for the clarification. And then, as I went in and started working for uh, more and more leaders, I found myself always in that sort of number two position. Uh, Not because it was a deficit position; it's just that I was really good at it. And as I started working with business owners, I realized that a lot of them struggled with adding, especially their first time. Um, they kept, you know, they would go through these either assistant and by number two, I mean, it could be your virtual assistant. It could be in the case of a lot of people in the online space. But, you know, a lot in the manufacturers, it could be their, you know, small company, It could be their production manager. It's that person that really focuses on the internal things, the internal workings, because a lot of us as entrepreneurs are focused on the external things. And um, what I realized, they struggled a lot. For a couple of reasons. One, um, they didn't understand what that person was there to do, and at the beginning of our businesses, we touch everything, and in the end, we really should touch nothing, and that transition is really tricky for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, and, and so good point that it doesn't necessarily have to be your, you know, your vice president has, doesn't exactly. necessarily even have to be an employee. Now, can, so can I have multiple number twos then as long uh, along that thinking?
0: Yeah, uh, you can. Um, because because I, what, you
1: mentioned, like, if I have a virtual assistant for one capacity, uh, I might still need a number two in another. So maybe I've outsourced or have someone who helps me with the financials, but I still need someone to help me with sales. I could have that person be a number two as well, yes?
0: Exactly, exactly. And understanding, and one of the things, the feedback I've received from the book is that a lot of people in that are in those number two roles have really appreciated it because it gave them an insight to how um, the people that they were working for struggled and gave them a better way to look at how to help them be more successful. Um, And that's a really great insight to have.
1: So the toughest thing, of course, is as you touched on for us is when we've been doing it all ourselves for so long, it's, it's hard a to find the right person. You talk about, I think that we, tried, we often will, will hire people or bring on people or partner with people that are like us instead of somebody that will complement us. And, and then it's hard for us to actually let go, right?
0: Yeah, those are probably the two biggest things. Um, I think it's really, uh, it's really, the as far as hiring the right person, I think oftentimes we end up hiring people that are ex- exactly opposite of us, thinking that that will help. Or we hire somebody just like us, and somebody just like us isn't going to want. Usually, isn't going to want to do the things that we don't want to do anyway. And then hiring somebody opposite might seem okay, but really, what you want is somebody that's a compliment. I just read this great article this week in the Harvard Business Review, and they said it's really interesting. And this was talking about CEOs and COOs, but the you know you can. There's tons of books on CEOs, but there's almost no books on COOs, and one of the reasons is is that the COO is traditionally hired to offset how the CEO is, and that's why there's really no common denominator in what makes a good COO, because it's very personality dependent on the CEO, which I think is fascinating.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. I had not thought about it that way, but that's exactly right. It's, has to compl- That person has to complement the CEO like you said very interesting so how do you go about or at least give us a couple of ideas or insights to how you go about helping your clients find out what they're truly looking for in their business as you say and and that balance that they would like to strike between their business and their personal life how do you start getting into that and identifying that and helping that client ask themselves those questions
0: that's a that's a great question um I really ask people why they started their business and where they what they hope, what they had hoped to achieve at that point that they're at and what they hope to achieve in 5 years. And you know anybody can sit down and it does this doesn't take hours. This if you ask somebody they should be able to knock this out in 30 minutes. And most of the time the reason we started our business and where we're at there's usually a disparity some of the time and it's those disparities that we go after. And as once they decide what their next steps are, whether it's hiring somebody or it's changing their lifestyle, we get concrete action steps and break them into the very smallest part that you can attack them. If they're looking to hire someone or add somebody onto their team or contract with somebody, then I usually have them do a personal inventory of what they're doing on a daily basis as much as I can get them to do it. Now, with phones and everything and people's schedules, it's pretty easy to do. And we start parsing that apart and saying, you know, are, is this, are you the best person that can be doing this? Because it's amazing to me when somebody's working on a project that they're trying, say they're trying to book a thousand dollar client or a thousand dollar, sell a thousand dollar product, and they're sitting there wrestling with a $10 an hour issue. Um, that's not the best use of their time. Right. But at the beginning, you you know, you feel like you have to do that. But we often keep those habits way longer than we should.
1: The other thing, Gina, is I, I have to believe you've encountered is where when you do that assessment now, you realize I don't really like this business anymore or what it's become or what it is is not really what I want to do. So in that case, in my experience, usually the best thing is to begin to plan to exit the business. But what are your thoughts on that?
0: I think that's an excellent point. And it's one that... Um, that uh, last week I was in Las Vegas at the Value Builder Summit, and they uh, I got to hear Bo Burlingham speak, and he wrote, um, he co-wrote The Great Great Game of Business, and he just wrote a new book called Finish Big. He was a contributor in Inc. for like twenty years. He's at Forbes now, and what he said is super interesting: is that when people exit their businesses, even through the process, if they're not treated fairly, if if at the end of the day. But the, if, they, if the icing on the cake, the people that he's seen that's been most successful, if they can figure out if they, if they can figure out a way to sell their business and see their business live on without them, those have been the most um, successful people that he's seen. and it basically comes down to purpose. So if your business isn't serving you anymore, you really have to figure out a way to either make have it be of, of service to you and the others that people you're working with, or make sure that you jettison it and get it out into the world where it needs to be. Yeah,
1: yeah great point. All right, so we'll take a bit more personal turn again. You mentioned freedom as, as one of your, what drives you. What type of freedom are we talking about?
0: Um, the ability to control my time and um, to do the things that I like, both professionally and personally. So professionally, I love serving clients. I love working with my top tier clients. I love the diversity in their businesses and helping them achieve their dreams. It's, it's just part of who I am. But I also like doing it on my own time and being able to do things, um, like go to a a personal retreat with a group of women in Charleston, South Carolina, which I was able to do a couple weeks ago. Um, I didn't have to ask anybody for time off. I just had to make sure that I had the, the funding and my skills, in my schedule cleared. And that kind of freedom is really important to me.
1: Yeah, right. Resonates with me completely, as I'm sure it does with a lot of our listeners who are entrepreneurs. So I want to ask you about a decision that you've made looking back in your life that has now had significant impact. I, I would obviously venture one of them was making that decision in 2011 to start your own consulting firm. But if you look back, maybe perhaps before that, is there a decision that stands out in your life that you think, boy, when I made that decision, look at the positive impact it's had now in my life?
0: You know, I think a um, long time ago, I think it was when I made that decision to, like I said, I'm from a long line of Californians, and my family immigrated from Europe straight to California. So growing up, no one, we didn't have any relatives back east. Everybody else I knew growing up always had some relative back east. <laughs> You know, and, and, and back east could have been, you know, in those days could have been Nevada. But um, sure. um, And I think it was pretty brave um, just to pack up my car. I mean, I got a, had a job, but I just packed up my car, drove cross-country by myself from California to Pennsylvania. And those are the days before cell phones. And I couldn't understand why my parents were nervous about me driving across country by myself. Now that I have children, I totally understand. Um, but I think that really that really set the tone for the big adventure and made it easier for me to do the other things that I had done. I've done since.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see that. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. All right. So, uh, we've touched on it, but give us the, the quick elevator pitch or summary on what venture solutions offers, which you offer your clients.
0: Um, Easily, I just work with CEOs um, and owners to improve and create value for their business, wherever, wherever they, they see and want that value to be. Um, because I have had a diversity of experience and, and seen so many different kinds of businesses, um, it, I think it makes me really well suited to work with owners and CEOs to kind of pick their brains and challenge them in a way that I, I'm not sure that every coach or consultant can do.
1: Very good. And so Gina, let's talk about books you mentioned. I think it was built to sell. And uh, obviously we chatted a little bit about your book. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend to our listeners?
0: You know, it's one that I'm just starting and I'm using it kind of in a fun way. Um, I love Tim Ferriss. And so um, I just picked up uh, Tools of the Titans and Tools of Titans, not the Titans. And, um, the way he brought, have you read that? Have you seen that his book yet?
1: I have, I have not read it. I've read his yeah. previous books and I'm a big fan of his podcast.
0: Yeah. Um, what I love about how this book is broken up is that it's just broken up in these little snippets, which is about my, um, attention span some days. And, um, I have a practice in the morning where I get ready for the day and I set my intention and so my new thing, um, at the end of the day is, um, just picking, just randomly picking, you know, going, cause it's a huge book. I mean, you could use it as a, uh, to weigh down your house with, um, and just go through it and pick something and read it because they're only a couple pages long and then reflect on that. So it's kind of going to be my end of the day thing. I'm just going to start that next week. It's my, I, my new thing that I decided, and I've just flipped through with a few things and it's just really fun. It's a really fun book.
1: I love it. Great. Thanks for recommendation. And, and, for the insights to how you use it. So we'll have links to that book as well as your book, which again, Gina's book is Tandem Leadership, How Your Number Two Can Make You Number One. Who Who is that book uh, written for? I mean, I think it's obvious, but just share with us what your thoughts are on who you wrote it for.
0: I, who I wrote it for was that um, early stage entrepreneur who is in a high growth business and is noticing that, things aren't maybe turning out quite the way that they had wanted and they realize they need help for whatever reason. And that's why I wrote it for who I found likes it as well is people have used it a lot just with their other relationships, both work and personally in terms of understanding how the other person thinks. And so that's been super rewarding too.
1: Yeah. I imagine so. Great. Thanks for sharing that. All right. We'll wrap it up. Uh, last parting piece of advice or a thought for our listeners.
0: I think uh, the last piece of advice is the importance of focus, um, and it's an old saying, but it's what, you're, what you don't do every day is probably more important than um, what you choose to not do. Let me say, rephrase that. What you choose to not do every day is probably more important than what you choose to do, because we, we like our big lists, and um, eliminating a lot of those things on those lists are, is important for us to have success
1: love that. Great insight. Were you someone who struggled with saying no?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, as, as do I. So we, we, we again, I think that comes in part now that I think about it in our conversation from our corporate mentality where, yep, I'll take that on. Yes, I'll take on that project. Sure, I'll be at that meeting. And, and so we end up as entrepreneurs repeating those habits.
0: It is. And it's a super addictive thing, I think. I mean, I think we like, the, I mean, I like the rush of being um, relevant and getting a lot of stuff done and being productive and being um, excelling. I mean, so why wouldn't that be important?
1: Yeah. And being asked to be on this committee and come over here and volunteer. <laughs> exactly. To and, you know, before you know it, you're doing everything but what you need to be doing to grow your business and to have a home life. Exactly. Excellent. Thanks for that insight. And where would you like our listeners to go online to find out more about you and Venture Solutions?
0: Um, there's two places. If they're interested more about um, the Value Builder System, uh, they can go to the link bestbizbizaz.com, Best Arizona. com. And then, um, if I for any of your listeners who would like a free download of the book, they can go to tandemleadershipbook.com forward slash how, and they can get a copy of the book.
1: Hmm, fantastic. Thanks for that offer. We'll have a link to that on the show notes page. Wonderful, Gina, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for sharing the insights and for taking the time to be with us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute pleasure.
1: Folks, this is Henry Lopez, and you've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would thank you and welcome you subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business.